Hello and welcome to Academy of Blues. Academy of Blues is a Chelsea FC podcast recorded and brought to your ears from quarantine Los Angeles, California. Listeners, we hope you're doing well, staying safe, and we want to thank you for listening to today's episode. With the obvious reality of no football being played right now, we've chosen to look back to the time when we could watch a Chelsea game. We've clicked on Scene Selection in the Netflix menu, and up for viewing today is Chelsea's best and worst performances under Frank Lampard's first season. We'll also get to continue our Road to Champions League Glory series and examine how the 2011 and 12 season kicked off for the likes of Andre Villas-Boas, Didier Drogba, and company. I'm your host, Matty Gilbert Christos, and to help you and I get away from the thoughts of missing football and being on lockdown, I have with me the Cesar Aspilicueta of this show, a man so reliable he would have to see a red card before failing to make an appearance for the Academy of Blues. That's right, I'm talking about Mr. 100%, Daniel Gonzalez. Daniel, how are you? I'm never going to live up to any of these intros. Oh, they're going to keep getting better. They are going to keep getting better, my friend. Uh, okay, Daniel, so what I want to do in this part is I'd like first to talk about this season's best and worst games. Uh, Frank Lampard's time at Chelsea got off to a horrible start with our first game. Uh, but then there was a lot of reason for optimism in the fall. And then came the winter, and in, and with it, a tough time for the mighty blues. And just when things started to kind of pick back up for us, COVID-19 safety measures brought football to a quick halt. So I want to pose a question to you. What would you say has been the worst Chelsea performance of this season so far? Okay. Easily the first game of the season. It's easily Manchester United for Chelsea zero. And that game is particularly bad for me. It was, I don't think it was actually... The scoreline is a lot worse than the actual performance was. I agree. So it's not entirely accurate to the worst performance of the season. But heaviest defeat. I think it was the heaviest defeat for like just Chelsea in general. And wait, no, no, no because we, we, we lost six, six nothing to, to Man City. City. Oh, Manchester teams though. <laughs> yeah, but but it for, was one of our heaviest defeats. Yeah, but for me particularly, I don't know if I told you this, but I was in Spain at the time. Me and my family took a vacation to Spain, and I this was right at the beginning of the season. I was like scrambling to find a place to watch this game, and it's surprisingly hard to find places to watch the Premier League in Spain. And so we go. My whole family goes to this bar, and I'm talking, and I'm not talking because I can't speak Spanish very well. But my <laughs> father is talking to the person who owns the bar. It's a pretty small bar, and asking him if you could find any channels to watch this game on and stuff. And the guy is like playing the Spanish league or La Liga, and I don't care about that. <laughs> so he's like, he's very accommodating. He tries to find the game for us, and it takes him a while, but he finally gets it like right before the game starts. And it's playing on this big screen right oh. on their patio. There's tons of people outside, like just eating food, talking, stuff like that. And I'm sitting right in front of it, wearing my Chelsea blue jersey. Oh. And I'm like excited. I got some. <laughs> Got some sangria or something next to me or something. I'm rocking out. I'm ready for the first game of the season. As the game's going, and I'm like cheering, I'm trying to get into it and stuff, and it's getting worse and worse and worse. All the other patrons start paying attention, oh, and so no. everybody's watching. And I turned, I probably turned 
a lot of people went to Manchester United fans that day, oh, that's I'm guessing, after seeing that performance. But it was particularly bad because Lampard's first competitive game in charge against Manchester United, who we all hate. Very big game. And I think we were all kind of, at least myself, I was very optimistic at this point, like I always am. And so I was expecting, if not a win, at least a very competitive comp- uh, match because Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, however you say his name, <laughs> I don't think he's a very, I personally don't think he's still like, he's not ready for this kind of thing. I don't think he'll ever be ready for managing in this stage. I think he keeps, with every win he gets, I think he's, he just gets lucky. You can even see it on his face. He has a look on his face <laughs> that just looks shocked that he won. Yeah, exactly. He doesn't... He's, he seems like a protagonist in like a movie who's just shocked to be there. Yeah. You know, he's just like... He's winning by luck and like plot armor every time. But to lose that badly to a rather inexperienced manager with a squad that's not particularly good, um, with like Lampard, it's made a risk. He had, I think like seven homegrown players in the squad for that match and started a lot of them it was a pretty whisk risky way to go for the first match and for it to end that badly it felt like this entire high that we've been riding of like a bunch of youth players are going to make the team Lampard's going to coach us he's going to be this great manager and stuff and we just lost hazard but it's going to okay it's going to be okay we have all these new signings or these new kids coming through not necessarily new signings mm-hmm. it felt like we were ready to like do something great into the Premier League for once. Mm-hmm. And for it to end like that, felt like everything was just gonna crash down. Right. Everybody was talking about, oh, Lampard's gonna get the sack immediately. Right. We're gonna have we're gonna have to like spend big in the summer to even compete. We're gonna end up in like tenth, eleventh place. Yeah. And that was probably my the lowest low of the season for me. Not to mention the actual I don't think the performance was too bad. I think you'd agree. I completely agree with the fact that the performance wasn't too bad. But I'm thinking about it and I'm like that's not a bad time to get your lowest low out of the, out of the way for yeah. a season because then it, it just goes up from there. Yeah, it's and no I think, 6-0 city in the middle of the season. In, in like January yeah. or something. Yeah. I would agree with that, that it was one of our worst performances of the season. However, I don't think that it was the worst performance. Now, my experience with that game is slightly different to yours Because I had work, I remember having to record the game, and then as soon as I got out of work, ran home, got some food, put it on the TV, and I was feeling great for the first 20 minutes. I was feeling fantastic. Um, And because we genuinely looked like a better team than Man United. Mason Mount, Tammy Abraham, all those guys looked fantastic. Kovacic was doing his thing in in midfield, and unfortunately... um, we ended up losing 4 nothing, And I don't believe that the scoreline was fair to us that day. But again, that's soccer. And so we'll just take that and move on. Uh, but I don't think that it was our worst performance of the season. I think that was just our unluckiest performance of the season. Absolutely. I totally agree. Um, I think for me, the one performance that really broke my heart because it, I genuinely felt like it was our worst performance was Everton away. That was rough. That was rough. Everton away. We lost 3-1 to an Everton team that had been doing nothing but just losing games. I mean, they were losing games to teams like Watford. And uh, I know Stoke City's not in the league right now. But if they were, that Everton team would have been losing to them. And sure enough, the 
uh, Wednesday or Thursday before they play us, they sack their manager and they bring in like Everton's uh, top one of Everton's top goal scorer goal scorers of all time, big old Duncan Ferguson. Uh, and, and there's this whole thing going around on like Twitter and stuff uh, that was talking about how he was bringing to Everton the big dunk energy. And um, and unfortunately, we were the first ones to taste that because that Everton team that showed up that day, they're just a bunch of bullies. Um, they were pushing and shoving our players around and our players just didn't turn up at all. And so I was... Massively disappointed by that game, and I think, um, uh, thankfully, we haven't seen anything close to that game since. I know that we haven't had results go our way every game and consistently, but there was nothing that bad um, since. I mean, just quickly looking at the stats, it's one of those games where they win 3-1, and we have 70% possession to their 30. It's just, at least this season, it's the most Chelsea thing ever to go to a team that just sacked their manager that's one of the worst teams in the league at the moment and yep. lose like that and give them their comeback. Absolutely. I feel like that's happened every season. <laughs> yeah. Or find a team that's like on a run of six or seven games of like just straight losing streak. Go play against them. Doesn't matter if it's at Stamford Bridge or away. Hey, would you like some points? Here are three points. That seemed like the very Chelsea thing to do, specifically between like mid-November and end of December. Um, so we're generous. We're generous. Put it that way. We're generous. And I mean, right now we're being super generous to the whole wide world with all our <laughs> coronavirus efforts. And so um, at least we're consistent when it comes to that. Yeah. Okay. So worst one out of the way. Give us uh, what you think is the best performance of the season so far. Okay. For me, it's the one that like felt the sweetest to me at the moment is Tottenham Chelsea 2 0. Okay. Not 2 1, 2 0. Because I like seeing Williams score. I don't think he's like. I just I feel like he could just. There's just a little bit he needs. Yeah. He's like almost there as like a great player, but he's like very good. Put him as like a solid B plus player. But every time he scores, I get this feeling inside of like, ah, like I like seeing the William that like shows up sometimes. And that first goal where he kind of like cuts like inside and From like shoot, corner, yeah, yeah, and shoots right in there. Ah, oh, that 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 felt like a goal that if you you can see that on his highlight reels and think that's a great player, I love that William. And seeing him take that penalty to get like a brace in that game, it just made me think William's on fire. We were not on a great run of form at the time, so we it, were made, not. it made that victory so much sweeter. And they were on a great run of form. They that were. Time. They had Harry Kane and they had Son. Yeah. Both firing in all cylinders. Yeah. And they had Mourinho. Yeah. Who's bringing Tottenham back, quote unquote. Nope. <laughs> and I think if, if they beat us that game, they would have either been level on points with us or they would have been one point behind. Something like that. It was so close mm-hmm. that they actually needed to win that game. Uh, but Frank Lampard switched to a 3-4-3 formation yeah. and completely caught Mourinho As we all know, I love a 3-4-3. You love a 3-4-3. <laughs> it's the best. And... And and it made it even better by the fact that we beat them again later with a three four three that that makes it that much sweeter. And I love seeing in the first goal that William has, you can see Tammy is just just as excited as he is, like if not more so, just like running around screaming yeah. like a yeah. like a crazed maniac. Yeah. 
And it just, I think it was at that moment that I really appreciated Tammy, not only as the striker that he was, like getting goals in consistently, kind of making his argument to be in the Chelsea first team, but seeing Tammy as like a true Chelsea player, seeing like a striker that is actually excited for any player scoring goals, which I don't think often happens. Right. Your turn. My turn. Before I go to mine, the sweet, sweet, sweet thing about that game against Mourinho was, one, he said about before he got the Tottenham job, he had come out on TV and said, oh yeah, uh, these Chelsea boys, they're on a seven-game winning streak, but against the big clubs, I still worry. Another dig at them. And so when he came up against us, and his team looked completely terrible. That was so satisfying. Um, and then the second thing, he goes on to that press conference later on, uh, right after the game, and he says Lampard used a three-four-three formation, and he copied Antonio Conte, and a lot of these players knew. And it, and it's just like, what kind of excuse is that? First of all, there is nothing in the books that says you have to like only Antonio Conte can use a three four three formation. There's nothing. Like it's in that. the official rules. Yeah, and it's like Jose, you could have used the three four three formation. You just didn't see it coming. I just absolutely love that he has not been able to find an answer against us. And so that game was definitely the most satisfying of the season so far. Technically, he wasn't wrong about not working against the big teams because Tottenham's not a big team. <laughs> That's great. Oh, and one more thing about that game is the, that was Williams' best performance for Chelsea. And as the song goes, he hates Tottenham. And so that meant that much more uh, as well. So for me, our best performance of the season, I do agree that, that that is absolutely, without a doubt, our best performance of the season. Um, however, I'm going to go for the return leg of ah. our worst performance of the season, according to me, which is Everton at home. The last game that we played before mm. this coronavirus break uh, that we got, but uh, we beat them 4 nothing, And from the first minute, you could just see the kind of game that it was going to uh, turn out to be. Um, every once in a while, a game comes along that you could rewatch over and over and over for years to come. For example, to this day, from time to time, I just turn on the 7-1 win by Germany against Brazil in the semifinal <laughs> of the 2014 World Cup. Oh, that's that's a great, that's a classic. That game. is a very watchable game, <laughs> and that uh, performance that Chelsea had against Everton at home for nothing with the Scottish Iniesta or Scottish Fabregas, both combined combined together. Into a little him, teenage yeah, kid. Yeah, with him running the show in midfield. Billy Gilmore, in case Billy you're Gilmore. lost. Billy Gilmore running the show in midfield. It was so. It was just so gratifying to the soul uh, of a Chelsea fan. And, and that game was perfect because we had one of our youngsters score, so Mason Mount, and then we had two of our veterans in Pedro and Willian. They scored the most Pedro and the most Willian goals. And then Olivier Giroud also got a goal. And I, I love Giroud because he's been a good servant to the club, um, very professional in everything that he says and all that. And so that's, that's just such a lovely game. And we got to keep a clean sheet, which has been incredibly hard for us this season. The only thing that makes me a little bit sad about that game was the fact that it was Carlo Ancelotti's uh, first time back at the bridge. And I love Carlo Ancelotti. Something I love about that game is before the match starts, you could see Lampard go to give Angelotti a, uh, like a handshake, like a very mm-hmm. professional handshake. 
and Trilothy just like bats his hand aside yeah. and gives him a yeah. big hug. Yeah. And I think at that point, um, at that point, the Premier League had already given out uh, rules or a decree that said that players aren't allowed to shake their hands at the beginning of games and managers should like, you know, everyone should just keep their distance as much as possible. And so for Carlo to be like, no way, son, come here and bring it in. Was, that was that was beautiful to see. One more note. Yeah. Something I find bittersweet about that game is because I feel like it was just like the return of a lot of players. I think uh, Anita Balaga was definitely getting back into form. I think he was probably going to cement his spot and kind of quell a lot of the worries that people had about our keeper spot, uh, especially going into when we're actually going to have transfers again. I think that Gilmore was absolutely coming into his own and being able to run that show in the big time leagues was great to watch. And I think Giroud finally actually got his spot back over Bachuai, which was arguably deserved for a long time. Yeah. And this is like one of the games that really cemented that if not uh, first choice over Tammy, he was definitely at least second choice over Bachuai. Yeah. Uh, so it was just tough to see it felt like the start of a lot of players getting the ball rolling on their form and getting and mount especially getting coming back because a lot of people were down on mount for a long time and i think that was just because he was tired after starting every single press that the chelsea team had so i think a lot of players were going to be able to quell the worries that a lot of the fans and perhaps the managers had about them and it just sucks that it happened right before everything got shut down true um, real quick, let me ask you this. What do you think of Batshuayi's chances of staying at Chelsea and being more than just a part-time player? I don't know. I feel like Batshuayi hasn't really belonged at Chelsea for a long time now. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of players probably would have left after that 16-17 season, which right. he was getting like one minute a game, right? like six games in a row. And it's it's odd to me that so many teams have taken him on on loan and then given him back, and that he's just been content with that. It, it seems like Batshuayi is a player who's just kind of content to get paid, make appearances when he's needed. I do think he has like the potential to be a better striker than that if his decision-making was better. I just feel like he's going to stay. I don't think the Chelsea board wants him to stay. I don't think they want to be paying his wages, but I think he's happy here, yeah. and he seems to have a good influence on the dressing room. Yeah. I, I don't know. It, it's hard with him because... I think from your backup striker, what you want is someone who is not really content with just being on the bench the entire time. So when he does come onto the pitch, he's just like super eager to make an impact. But Batshuayi is half the game he's offside and then the other half he's like missing really clear cut chances. Um, So I don't know. For me, it's hard to justify keeping him because, uh, for example... Uh, I don't know his first name, but uh, Real Madrid striker Jovic. Is it Stefan Stefan Jovic? I don't or, exactly remember or his first name. Like it. Um, he didn't have a very good season at Real Madrid, but you can see how much potential is in this guy because when he was at Frankfurt, he was just banging in goals left and right. And there is uh, there's talk and there are rumors linking him with Chelsea. And I think that he would be the perfect striker alongside Abraham. So, Abraham's the guaranteed st- uh, starter. He's the one who is starting every single game. But if he has a dip in form and or towards the end of every game, he's got somebody who comes on 
and it's just doing enough to keep the pressure on him. The team benefits, Abraham benefits, and the player himself would actually end up getting more minutes and more opportunities. So I really hope that we end up going for Jovic in the uh, in the summer transfer window because he would be great for us to have. The only the only other point I'd like to point out about Chouai is that I will always love him for his goal against Atletico Madrid in the Champions League. Oh yeah, that winner. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, that was amazing. I love. I. That's one of my top five moments as a Chelsea fan, to be honest. <laughs> we're in a recurring series within Academy of Blues, something that we're calling Road to Champions League Glory. Uh, this is a series where we're looking at the Champions League campaign of 2011 and 12, the campaign that has left us as the only team in London with a European trophy. So the last two weeks we talked about the two seasons leading up to 2011 and 12. So Daniel, why don't you give us a quick recap of a lot of the major points of those two seasons. Alright, so in 2007-8, Chelsea's Champions League aspirations end just at the final, losing on penalties to Manchester United. John Terry with a slip that cost us the game, unfortunately, in the penalty stage. Only the second most famous slip in soccer history, (laughs) which we can come back to at some point. I'd love to talk about that game. I'm sure we will. Next season, Chelsea try to bounce back, but unfortunately go out in the semifinal against Barcelona in the 2008-2009 Champions League season uh, with one of the most horrific refereeing performances in all of soccer history, probably. After that, Abramovich tries to, again, bounce back, trying to suck dry this golden generation of players that Chelsea has. They're Petr Cech, Frank Lampard, John Terry, Didier Drogba, all in their prime, trying to get them to win the Champions League that he's won for so long. And so he brings in Carlo Ancelotti, uh, the Italian manager best known for winning Champions Leagues, trying to bring a, a air of success to the club. Unfortunately, despite winning the Premier League with a record number of goals and wins and everything, just doing an amazing job in the Premier League, not quite getting to what Roman's uh, aspirations were in the Champions League. And so after two seasons of this Ancelotti is gone. And so that's where we come to at this point in our story. 2011-2012. Chelsea, not quite the team it once was. Not quite with the same managerial success that we once had. Our players are kind of going on the decline. We've lost a lot of the players that made the uh, near successes of the past what they were. And so this is kind of Chelsea on the decline at this point. Maddie, That's where we're going to pick things up. Just uh, to let everybody know, in that transfer window, after uh, Carlo Ancelotti gets the sack and a brand new manager comes in, a manager by the name uh, Andre Villas-Boas, who was coming in from FC Porto, uh, he had just won the Europa League with FC Porto, and so he was dubbed a new Mourinho, and uh, there was a lot of hope and expectation for this guy when it comes to how the board was looking at him. Me as a fan at the time, no idea who he was. But he was hyped up in the media. He was hyped up by the board. And so there was 
a certain level of excitement about him coming in. And a lot of the moves that he was making in the transfer market, I don't know if it was if he had a lot of influence on the moves or it was more the board than him. But a lot of the moves that were being made in the transfer market were really interesting and unlike the Chelsea of old. And so there, there was just a certain level of intrigue going on uh, at the very beginning of the season. To recap some of his transfers, he bought Thibaut Courtois from Vitesse and he immediately got loaned to Atletico Madrid. Juan Mata was signed from Valencia. Juan Mata would go on to score uh, on his debut. Uh, Raul Mireles was signed from Liverpool, a Portuguese player. Romelu Lukaku, the Belgian from Anderlecht for 12 million. And then Oriol Romeu from the Barcelona Academy or Barcelona B, I think at the time. He also signed a couple of other players uh, like this guy named Ulises Davila from Chivas Guadalajara who never ever ended up playing a single game for Chelsea. But essentially what Andre Villas-Boas had was a staple of legends at Chelsea. So you're looking at Petr Cech, Ashley Cole, Frank Lampard, Branislav Ivanovic, um, uh, John Terry, you got uh, Essien, Didier Drogba, legend after legend after legend. However, players are typically classified legends towards the twilight of their career because they've done so much. And so he did, he was left with a group of aging players who, whose time bomb was, uh, ticking, ticking, whose time bomb was, whose time was ticking, whose time was, who ticking to a bomb. There's going to be an explosion. Ticking to a player. Yeah. Um, here we go. Figured it out. We we made that up. So, (laughs) That's what he was left with. So there was a certain pressure that most managers didn't have before him. And there was a certain pressure that was on those players uh, that they didn't have before. Because all of a sudden, after so many disappointments and not being able to get it, the, the, the Lampards, Terry's Drogba's could easily look at their careers and say, well, I don't think that winning the Champions League is something that I'm going to achieve in my career. So um, it seemed like... There was so much pressure building up already before the season even started. And on top of that now, you have this very young manager who talked a big game, was a good communicator with the media at least and the board, but from my experience, didn't really have good man management skills. Um, and so we'll, we'll get to kind of unfold what happens throughout the season um, and look at the path that we start on. So. The Champions League draw gets conducted. Chelsea are drawn in a group with Bayer Leverkusen, Valencia, and Genk from Belgium. Now, the interesting thing about all three teams is that there is a Chelsea connection within every team. Michael Ballack was playing for Bayer Leverkusen at the time. Uh, Valencia had just sold a Swan Mata, so there was that connection there. And, and Genk... Um, at the time, had uh, 18-year-old Kevin De Bruyne, also known as Kevin De Red Cheeks, to me. Uh, and, and only. <laughs> and only me, because uh, he's got red cheeks. Um, <clears throat> he was playing for that gang team. So it was interesting that that's how things fell for us. Our league performance that season, in the opening stages of the season, we, uh, we started with a nil-nil draw against Stoke, away from home. Not a good start. Not a good start. And then we picked up a few uh, points. I, I believe our second game of the season were against, was against Norwich at home. And Juan Mata ended up scoring. And I believe we won 3-1. to one. You're correct on almost all counts. Oh. 
Uh, Our second game of the season was against West Brom, also at home. 2-1. The third game was Norwich. Ah, okay. 3-1. 3-1. So you were right about that. And Juan Mata scored. I know he scored against Norwich. That was his debut goal. He did goal. He, he did. He did at the goal. 90 plus 11, the 111, 101st minute. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah, it I was, need to watch this game. Yeah, it was... <laughs> it was and Torres scored. That's a crazy... And Torres scored. So that's how the season got off to a start. As far as our first Champions League game goes, and just so you know, what I'm planning on doing in this episode is going over the first three games of the Champions League group stage and this one. Then we'll go over the next three games in the next episode. And then we'll get into the group stages. Into uh, the knockout, knockout. stages. Yes. And that's when things really start to heat up for Chelsea and for everybody involved. So, game one or match day one in Champions League, uh, we are at home against Bayer Leverkusen and we uh, we ended up winning 2-0 against Bayer Leverkusen. Goals from David Luiz in the 67th minute and Juan Mata in the 90th minute. The interesting thing about this game uh, was this was one of the games where we got to see Frank Lampard getting benched. And I briefly mentioned in the previous podcast that AVB did not like Frank Lampard. And he he had, he was, I think he had a mission to basically renew the identity of Chelsea and to build this brand new team around his image and everything. In my opinion, he was trying to do it way too fast. And when you have guys like Lampard, Terry, Drogba, and Czech who have essentially owned the dressing room for the past 10 years or so. When you have those guys there and you target them and you attack them, chances are the rest of the dressing room isn't going to back you up. So we see consistently that Frank Lampard gets dropped from the starting lineup and he only gets to make substitute appearances. In this game, Frank Lampard starts off the, uh, on the bench. He comes on on the 64th minute. The first goal we get was on the 67th minute, and we end up winning it. This ended up being a pattern uh, with Lampard being benched. Game's not really going the way that we want him to go because Andrew Villas-Boas preferred Oriol Romeu in midfield to Frank Lampard. And unfortunately, Frank Lampard would continue to, ha- to, to be the hero and still uh, get benched. Match day two against Valencia. Now this one's interesting because Frank Lampard does start the game. And I remember this game and be and I remember being so frustrated. Uh, the game is nothing nothing at halftime. We go into the second half. 56 56 minute uh, minutes in Frank Lampard scores. It is a classic Lampard with a crisp finish from uh, just inside the edge of the box. Things are going well. It looks like we're managing the game extremely well. It's one of those games that we should just easily uh, coast until the very end because Valencia didn't have that much threat going forward and Chelsea was really really good defensively however around the 80th minute Andreas Boas for no re- well for a reason obviously but for no reason that I could identify decides to take Frank Lampard out brings in Solomon, Solomon Kalou three minutes later Solomon Kalou gives away a penalty Valencia end up scoring that penalty uh, the game goes to 1-1 and that's how it finishes so two games in into the Champions League group stages, and we already see that Vias Boas is just a monster who hates Frank Lampard. Because if you hate Lampard and you're associated with Chelsea, you're a monster. Real quick, can you name 
the four clubs that Andres Villasboa has been with after Chelsea? After Chelsea. After Chelsea. I know he went. He first went to Tottenham. Correct. After Tottenham, did he go to Monaco? He did not. But he, he goes to a French team later. But it's kind of the sliding scale downwards, hmm. so to speak. Um, was he at Bordeaux? I'll well, give it to you. Okay. This one's a bit tough. The next wait, one's wait, also wait, wait, tough. Wait, wait, wait. Is it Zenit St. Petersburg? There you go. Okay. It goes from Chelsea to Tottenham. Same Z- Zenit St. Petersburg. Uh-huh. And then a French team. Nope, not quite. Oh. One more team before the French team. Oh, that's right. Um, was it a German team? It was not. Do you want me to tell you the continent? Yes. Asia. Oh, it's a Chinese team, isn't it? It's... Shanghai Shenhua? That There it is. Huh. And then from there... To... Marseille. Olympique de Marseille. Where he currently is still. Is he still there? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, he's... Basically, he's irrelevant. Frank Lampard is clearly now even a better manager than him <laughs> two seasons in. Anyways. Uh, so with Villas... Andreas Boas... Or Villas Boas... He is... AVB. AVB. With AVB, the third Champions League game actually goes to plan. The reason for that, though, is because the team that we were playing was absolute crap. Because <laughs> it, we were at home to Genk and we beat them 5 nothing. Raul Mirelis got the goals going. Uh, Fernando Torres got two. Ivanovic and Kalou. And if Fernando Torres is scoring two and Solomon Kalou is scoring on you, you know you're not the hottest team in Europe. So that's... Uh, that was kind of the story of the third game that season. The uh, again, I mentioned that Kevin De Bruyne was there playing for Genk. This was this would have been the first time that Chelsea scouts saw him, and he actually played really well in both the five 0 defeat and the return leg back in Genk about a month later. He played well in both. Uh, that the Chelsea board signs him in the following January transfer window. And immediately loans him back out to Genk so he could finish the season there. But that that game was an easy one. And so as far as our Champions League start goes, we were top of the group with two wins and a draw. So not a bad start. Not a bad start in the Champions League. On paper. On paper. The interesting thing about what got what ends up getting him sacked later on, which we won't get into too much, how we were doing in the league, I believe, if I'm not mistaken... In 2012, we end up finishing in sixth place. Fifth or sixth place? Sixth place? Sixth place. Okay. It was sixth place. Okay. It was in sixth place. And that would have been the worst finish that we had since Roman took over. Because when Roman took over, we finished second in 2003 and four, won it in 2004 and five, won it in five and six, finished second in six, seven, finished... Second in seven, second or third in seven eight. Oh, finished third in seven eight, and then finished second in, two, in eight nine, and finished first in ten. Wow, that was all from memory. Yeah, nicely done. I don't I, know. I don't know if it's right. I'm not looking at it's it. It's right. Oh, it's right. <laughs> Absolutely. My memory doesn't fail me. <laughs> so, uh, this was definitely the worst that we did in the league, and it looked like we weren't going to be in the top four. So that was one of the reasons that he got he gets fired. One of the things that I do want to mention, though, is uh, th- there was an article that came out in The Athletic sometime last year. 
Um, and it was interesting because it came out around the time when Frank Lampard was benching Christian Pulisic a lot. And there was a lot of chatter in the American media and there was a lot of chatter on social media about how Frank Lampard is freezing out Pulisic. And the article, in essence, was backing Frank Lampard up and saying that Pulisic's got a lot to learn. Um, here is an example of a manager coming into a club and freezing a player out. And they chose the example of AVB coming in and freezing Frank Lampard out. Um, and so with, with, with uh, in that article, we see that under Vias Bose wouldn't even acknowledge Frank Lampard in the dressing room. He wouldn't make any eye contact with him. Just so many childish things that a manager shouldn't and wouldn't normally do. And so that, that also ends up being one of the things that makes him a candidate to get sacked really, really early on. Now, we'll get to exactly what it was, the one thing that decided he's got to go now, that, that for the board made them go, oh, he's got to go now. That, that, that's Champions League related, so we'll talk about that. Uh, and it was the best deci- decision that they made that season. Talking about going back to the article, if the, the one thing that you can say that about Frank Lampard as a manager that he really knows, like the one thing you could say is that he's the best at is absolutely man management. Yeah. Like he knows how to treat every single one of his players and how to keep all of them happy. You could absolutely see it in the chemistry that the team has this season. So I don't know. I don't see the big deal about uh, a lot of people knocking Lampard for benching certain players mm-hmm. or bringing on certain players because he knows what's going on best at mm-hmm. the moment. And in my opinion, there's kind of like a sliding scale of in terms of like managers qualities of whether they want to fit with the team philosophy that the team's had for for years or kind of take things in a new direction and how willing they are to implement that and lampard i think kind of slides towards fitting with the team's philosophy but also trying to bring in his own style and trying to fit it along with what the team is doing right sadi kind of like went a little bit farther and trying to implement his own rigid style yeah if anything avb is just on the other like completely on the other side of this is my style. Everybody deal with it, no yeah. matter what. Yeah. So, if anything, Frank, uh, Lampard knows best about how to deal with this because he dealt with it not that long ago. For listening to this episode six of Academy of Blues. If you want to get a hold of us, we're on Instagram and Twitter at Academy of Blues. And for any questions, topics, and more discussions, you could email us at academyofblues at gmail.com. Academy of Blues at gmail.com. That's correct. <laughs> you got it right. So thank you so much for listening. I've been Daniel. And I've been Maddie. See you next week. <laughs>